Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Daniel Maganto, guitarist of melodic death metal band Eternal Storm, joins us today from Spain. Eternal Storm will embark on a tour with death metal OG's Master on March 24th, and will be playing the Rock Imperium Festival later this year in June. Eternal Storm launched their first full-length album, Come the Tide, in 2019 through Transcending Obscurity Records. Daniel, thank you, and welcome. Thank you for having me here, Jeff. Really honored to be here, and it's been a while since we've been on a podcast, so... Nice. When was the last time you were on an episode? Uh, I think it was uh, Noob Heavy. It's an Australian site, and yeah, we had a good time there. <laughs> nice. Have you gone on many podcasts or had? Uh, no, just, just a few. We did a couple of Spanish ones, but it's something I always appreciate. <laughs> Do you like podcasts more than like uh, written interviews? Uh, it depends uh, always of uh, the artist and the interviewer, of course. But I, for example, I really like uh, Box and Hops from Matt from Cryptopsy. He's from Canada as well. And also uh, there's another one that Will from uh, Afterbirth and Artificial Brain. I think it's like Heavy Hole podcast or something like that. It's pretty cool as well. I have to check that one out. I haven't heard it. Yeah, I'll send it to you later. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you. Cheers. So we were talking briefly just before the show and you were saying the uh, the restrictions in Spain right now aren't too bad. But um, have you run into a lot of um, canceled shows over the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, uh, well... We are not a really active band tour-wise because uh, Jaime, who is the main writer and the other guitarist of the band, he lives in Scotland, so logistics are a bit difficult. But yeah, I mean, we were scheduled for another festival called Rod the Night with uh, Scorpions, Devin Townsend, At the Gates, uh, Dying Fetus uh, last year, and it got cancelled, uh, as well as our dates with Master got rescheduled, and a few other local gigs we had, but I mean, the worst part is that uh, I work in the live music industry, um, and <laughs> you know, like 90% of my work <laughs> got crushed. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and what were some of the things that you did, um, we can talk about this a little bit later as yeah. well, but what are some of the things you did um, to kind of balance the cancellations and the difficulties through COVID? Well, I mean, uh, at least I got some benefits some, from state benefits. It's not a lot, but, you know, it helps me to keep it going. And with that and a few shows that I had done, I mean, I, I could survive. But I know, like, one of my cats got sick and then the, oh, uh, no. and I spent, like, all my savings on that. So, oh. uh, uh, plus also uh, we were recording the new record, so... <laughs> it's what it is. I mean, uh, money comes and goes, and as long as we're healthy and in good spirits, it's okay. And you said you were working on new music now, so whereabouts are you guys in the process? Uh, I mean, we just finished tracking a new record, or we're just waiting for a few collaborations, and then we'll start mixing the new album. So, I mean, we spent like uh, between the last week of November and the majority of December tracking the new record. Um, yeah, it was a very <laughs> extensive and exhaustive process, but we had a really good time. And it was really, it's kind of some some sort of relief, you know, because we've been working on this material for a long time. And I never believe when it's like, oh, we're, are we really f recording it finally? It's like, it's, I know, <laughs> like an illusion. It's like a dream. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> And you said one of your members live in Scotland, so was that difficult to um, get together with him? Yeah, I mean, uh, we played our last show before the pandemic in, Gen in January 2020, 
and uh, we didn't get to see him until September. Oh wow! Because I mean, uh, of course, he couldn't travel. And we ha- we play a gig with Warmed. I-, I don't know if you know them. They're like a brutal technical death metal from Madrid. They're really really good. And that's the first time we got to see him in eight months. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. And so, did you guys just practice uh, remotely, like over Zoom, or? Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, for that gig, we also had to ask a friend of us to help us with drums because our drummer couldn't make it for various reasons. And okay. so <laughs> it was like, okay, we were, we were practicing just one guitar, vocals, and bass, and the drummer, and then Jaime flew in, and we did a couple of jams with him before the show. And I mean, <laughs> it, it is what it is. I mean, we're used to working that way. Mm-hmm. And you said you worked with um, Madless, uh, Madness Live to book different rock and metal bands. And then you're also a booking agent and touring manager for a few different bands. So um, how many bands do you manage? Or uh, Well, I mean, uh, I work mostly with five different bands. Uh, weren't, as I said, uh, Alter Age. They're like kind of similar to Portal, Dissonant uh, Death Metal, uh, very cool band, Adrift, which are like a sludge band, a bit similar to, I don't know, Neurosis, Old Mastodon. And then another band, well, it, the name is in French, so probably I'm going to butcher it. It's called uh, Le Tams de Loop. It's a post metal band, kind of similar to Russian Circles and the likes. And then there's another band called uh, Fusco. And then also signed mm-hmm. to Season of Mist and the singer Sanko on our record. And they, uh, they're a bit difficult to to catalog, I'll say, because they used to play like black metal, but now they're closer to, I don't know, to Catatonia, Alphys, that really atmospheric and um, really emotive music. Hmm. How did you get involved with that side of things? Um, I mean, uh, I play bands, I love music. Um, I know there's a lot of good people that you get to meet either as a fan or setting a stage. And I mean, I just help uh, as much as I can. And as we're friends, we have like a, like a little, like a special kind of a level of understanding and commitment. So we understand when one of the parts, maybe it's not the good thing with these bands, none of them, they're like professional bands. They're not like touring like six months a year or something like that. So, we can arrange flexible and work on all, all the free times both parties have. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I started doing it just for fun. And then I realized uh, I started to work with that. It started to become like my day job. And it was okay. Okay. I mean, maybe I can try to help some bands I like and some people I like. And mm-hmm. that, that way I learned stuff as well. So it's good for everyone. And then keeping a small roster, I guess it helps you um, organize your time a little bit better and you're not stretching yourself too thin. Yeah, that's the thing. And because there are some moments in which I can hardly devote any time to those bands or even my own projects. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. that that way it's easier to manage. Well, and you're you're currently a member of three different bands. You have, um, obviously, Eternal Storm, Mm -hmm. uh, Liquid Graveyard, and uh, Satu. Yeah. But you've also been a part of other bands in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to do different stuff uh, because, you know, I listen to a lot of different genres. And I mean, if I'm, I think I've never been in less than two bands at the same time because I like to try different things because also maybe there are moments in which some bands are working like slowly and maybe like with Eternal Storm, we 
really like to take our time writing. Plus, we have people living in different countries and stuff like that. So I like to have a band in which I can like play play live kind of often, mm-hmm. jam more regularly, and release music more often. And with Liquid Graveyard, for instance, uh, it's everything is really, really easy. We hardly jam. We just do a couple of festivals every year because uh, some of the members also live abroad and they have kids and stuff like that. But we play a bunch of cool festivals every year um, and that's it. But with Saxo, it's like uh, I jam like pretty much weekly. And So that would mean like it's more of a hobby when you're going to jamming, but it's also practice for your other bands and stuff. Yeah, that's it. And how did you get involved with Eternal Storm? Are you one of the founding members? Yes, Jaime and me started the band. Uh, well, we, we started under a different name called Death Valley, which was even worse than our current name, <laughs> even easier, uh, around uh, 2008, more or less, late 2007. We changed the name in 2009. Um, yeah, only the two of us <laughs> remain. We changed singer in late 2019, and that's where Danny uh, joined us. So Danny, um, Danny's a new vocalist. He wasn't featured on the last album, was he? No, he wasn't. Okay. So what prompted the change between vocalists? Uh, yeah, the thing is that uh, Kerion, our founding vocalist and stuff, he, I mean, he w- w- he wasn't willing to uh, pursue music that much. I mean, like, I mean, he, he, we we have a really good relationship with him, and he's a really good friend of us. But I mean, he's pursuing like a more active uh, career in sports weightlifting he's also sport coach and we had like this different goals for the band and when the record was about to come out i was like hey okay the the record seems to be doing pretty all right so we would like to try harder with the band to spend more time and be a bit more focused and everything and put more effort into the band and he wasn't into it so but it was cool i mean it was just like the natural thing for both sides and we had known danny for a long time because we had played with his old band and and actually we before getting left the band we had asked him danny to fill in for him for our first european tour and okay. we got a really good chemistry with him, and we we tell him we told him you need to stay in the band. You know that, right? <laughs> he has no choice. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and so, um, I just want to touch on something you mentioned uh, that your original name was worse than your current name. Does that mean you don't like the name of your band? Or uh, I mean, I'm used to it, but if you get to think about it, like Eternal Storm is like a really, really cheesy name. I mean. It's easy to remember. That's the good thing. Yeah. Like people say, that I mean, it's kind of catchy. But I mean, it makes me think of when I was collecting Warhammer. I mean, no offense to people who collect Warhammer. It's cool, but it's like really cheesy, epic, uh, <laughs> you know, almost like a power metal-ish. I guess I can see where you're coming from, but I, yeah. I like it. I've, I've heard a lot worse metal metal names. Of so. course, there are worse names, but it doesn't make the name good either. <laughs> If you were going to change the name of your band now, how do you think that would affect um, your fan base or how would it affect your, your, you guys as a band? I don't know, because, I mean, it will, it will probably be like a very long process, <laughs> waste too much time. Um, so, I mean, it's just like there are some bands that they just change their name as a, throughout in the middle of their career. And pff, I don't know, I mean, just stick to it unless something really weird happens or you have some bad vibes or some rights problems with some members, stick to the name. I mean, it is what it is. People need to understand that most bands form when you're a teenager and (laughs) you can't ask for more. 
<laughs> the names just don't translate when you grow up a little bit. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm. I mean, you can try to find some metaphorical uh, meaning behind that with eternal storm. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the struggles that people uh, endure during the life or something like that. But if not, it's just a funny cheesy name. And it's kind of short and easy to remember. And that's fine for me. <laughs> well, and the music is memorable. So it's not something that Thank you. <laughs> people are going to forget. I mean, even if they don't like the name, whatever, the music's still good. Yeah, I mean, I, there are a lot of bands that have really, really bad names, but the music is awesome. So yep, it is what it I is. I think some of that's by design too. What's it say again? I think some of that is by design as well. Yeah, yeah. On it, purpose. I don't know. Like, uh, for a Cowboy, it's not a very good name, but it's a great band. Yeah, fair enough. I, I would even say the same with cattle decapitation. Yeah, well, but with cattle decapitation, you have all the message because they're vegetarians and yep. they are twisting that up. But I, mean, I don't know, like a lot of death metal bands, you get to think of the names. So it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, and like you said about Satu, like um, yeah. some of the names are just made up. They're not actual words. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, with that band, it was like, we didn't know what name used, and the singer wanted to use that. At first, it was like, no, I mean, and when, when we realized we were like, he was getting away with it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, ah, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to dis- argue about this. Yes, I'm going to let it happen. <laughs> let when it you guys originally formed uh, Eternal Storm, how did mm-hmm. you guys decide on a musical direction? Uh, well, th- that's a funny thing, because... Uh, for the earlier incarnation of the band, which was called Death Ballet, as I said, uh, Karen wanted to do kind of symphonic black metal, and then like um, uh, they pretty much all the lineup, all of the lineup except the drummer quit, and then he contacted me and I contacted Jaime, and we were talking about blending death and black metal because we really like like uh, the Polish scene, like uh, Early Behemoth and Bader, uh, Rai, stuff like that. But, you know, Jaime has a really peculiar uh, way of writing and his sense of melody is really, really strong. And, of course, we like a lot of other bands in common. We had bands like Dissection, Dismember, Opeth, Death, Morbid Angel in common. So it was like, okay, let's do melodic music, but we need to balance it with aggression. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, we had, like, the reference were like the early Swedish bands like Early at the Gates, In Flames, Star Tranquility, uh, Edge of Sanity, Dismember, Eucharist. But we try to incorporate all the elements to kind of make things a bit, spice things up and make it interesting. Did you guys have any Spanish metal bands that influenced your direction? Or? Most definitely. Uh, there's a band from Barcelona called Piedras de la Sangre, uh, um, which means uh, like uh, crystals uh, in, uh, in the blood, uh, which are probably one of our biggest influence. They're a really, really good band, really bad, you know, since they sing in Catalonian and they never got signed to any big label. They're like pretty underground, but they're amazing. And other bands like Naima, like Askaroth. Actually, there are a lot of Spanish bands that had a bigger influence on, on my, at least for me. I mm-hmm. kind of speak for the rest of the guys that um, other big names on the genre. So then when you were starting to get into metal, uh, mm-hmm. S- Spain had a relatively um, large metal scene. 
Uh, not really. I mean, uh, we had some big names in hard rock and heavy metal. Like, I know, a lot of, maybe, well, in Canada and the States, maybe they're not that big, but, you know, a lot of people know Maudeoth and Baron Rojo and Eros del Silencio, even though they are more me mellow. But, I mean, we have good bands. Um, we have festivals, but it's not Finland, it's not Germany, it's not the UK or the States. It has nothing to do with that. And you go to shows in Spain, and usually the attendance is way lower than in other countries. Hmm. Are there certain sounds that you hear coming out of Spain specifically? Uh, well, I mean, there are a lot of post-rock bands. Uh, also, there used to be like the thrash metal revival. Because in Spain, usually, uh, we get to all the trends like a few years after it and poorly, like with new metal, <laughs> with metalcore. There, there are some very good, good old-school death metal bands now, some good deathcore bands as well. I mean, there are good bands in every style, I'll say. But people nowadays, a lot of people playing like post-rock, stoner, thrash metal or the end interesting and then having a melodic death metal uh, band kind of does it mesh well with the rest of like the spanish metal scene or uh, not really i mean uh, there aren't many bands uh, similar to us i mean there are a few but uh, but at least you know as we are melodic uh, i think that it's easier to listen to. It's not like it's where you're playing grind chord or brutal death metal. It's like a niche or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's at least it's catchier. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's a little bit more accessible for people who yeah, are it's into, into the brutal stuff. But at the same time, our songs are really long, so it's like <laughs> yeah, we compensate for that. <laughs> How do you find playing longer songs versus like a shorter three, four minute song? Uh, I like playing longer songs because I know it's like sort of like a trance. I mean, you get into it and you have more. You can fo get focus more on the songs and it's more like a journey. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're playing like shorter songs, sometimes it's like in in. I mean, our style has a lot of arrangements and change of dynamics and everything. So, I mean, I think we kind of need like long structures and longer lengths in order to make it work properly. Is it difficult remembering like a longer song like that? Uh, not really because, I mean, it's just, you listen to it a lot of times, then you practice it a lot of times, you get used to it. I mean, it's just like, the only thing is that sometimes you only play like three or four songs on a show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, because the full set would be, what, 40 minutes to an hour? Yeah, pretty much. Um, like uh, when we're doing like festivals or something like that, we play three or four songs and that's it. Do you guys like enjoy, uh, do you enjoy touring versus playing a festival? Uh, I like touring more actually because uh, in a festival, everything is like very rushed and you don't have much time uh, for the changeover and probably you're going to play very early. But I mean, if you're playing clubs to some usually you get time to do like a decent uh, sound check and you can play longer sets and play smaller venues. But I love both sides anyway. Mm -hmm. One of the things you touched on earlier is that you like to take your time with the music. You like to make sure everything's good. And I think that reflects on your attitude towards the uh, touring versus festivals. Like you're not rushed. You're trying to take your time. You want to do a good job. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Maybe we are like hardest working band, but I mean we are really, I know, like persistent, and we mm -hmm. try to make sure that 
to cut the fat of the songs because I mean we're not a technical band, and even though we try to embellish the arrangements and make things uh, songs interesting, we really try to focus on on not having a riff salad because even though it, maybe our structures are not like the most traditional in the compared to I know the more the straightforward bands, but we try to make all the transitions as natural as possible and try not to show off and stuff like that. And that makes, mm-hmm. makes a lot of time to listen to it endlessly and then get some perspective. Um, Between the releases of your, um, of your first EP and mm-hmm. then your full length album, you said you had that pretty much ready since 2017, but you had to sit on it for a couple of years. What was the reason for that? Uh, well, I mean, uh, first of all, the mix got delayed because the guy in the studio was pretty busy and he was like struggling with, with uh, like uh, projecting his vision of the record. And he was working on other projects at the time. So, I mean, he told us like, hey, do you mind if we wait for a couple of extra months? Because, I mean, I'm not happy with the result um, before I get to show you the mix. But, I mean, he asked us for more time just because he wanted to be happy with with the mix and then i was very busy with with work for another three months or so and before i started uh talking to labels and that then talking to labels took another three months so we signed a record deal in march 2018 okay but i mean the label was really we are in a, on a small label, even though it's pretty popular these days, and they're mm-hmm. pretty much overwhelmed with its growth because they've put some good releases like Master, like Gyria, like uh, Depravity, the Profundi, Sufficient Tristes on the label grown. Growth was pretty <laughs> overwhelming for mm-hmm. them. So um, it took them some time to find some spots for us. Uh, but I mean, I'll, I'll say that uh, it was worth the wait because we got a really good promo mm-hmm. and also the label was bigger than when we signed to them. So in the end, it was good. Um, I mean, it's sort of frustrating at times because, I mean, as Phil said on the podcast with First Fragment, he said, I mean, by the time you're, the album is out, the material feels kind of old mm-hmm. and you want to focus on your stuff and everything and and you start to to see like mistakes and things you will do differently. But I mean, other than that, it's only a problem for the band because people are usually fine with waiting for uh, six months. And especially for us, which, because we are pretty much an unknown band. So, well, and I mean, I think a fan of anything really, I mean, when it comes to video games or movies or books or music, whatever, I think fans are willing to wait longer if the product's better. That's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, if it's going to be better for everyone, I mean, if the band is going to get more promo, if the releases are going to be of higher quality, you're going to get vinyl and stuff and better premieres and you can prepare videos and everything, then it's good. After all, it's six months or something like that. Um, I mean, we, in the blink of an eye, that time is already there. And the artist for your um, your cover <laughs> art, Leoncio Harmer, and I'm sorry if I butchered that. He's got he's got a good eye for atmospheric um, atmospheric art. Um, how did you get him on board, and what was what was like the process like with him? I mean, uh, we were looking for different options for the cover. Um, we weren't sure who to write and who to, who to contact. And then uh, there's a website called No Clean Thinking. It's one of my favorite metal websites, and they usually do like they post like different artists on Facebook, 
And one of the days they were posting some artwork from Leoncio. Um, it was like, I immediately uh, texted the guys. I was like, dude, this is it. This is the guy. We need to contact him. And I sent him an email and he was really, really nice. And he, it was super easy to work with him. And actually we're doing the, the new album with him again. Um, oh, perfect. It was, yeah, it was amazing because I mean, uh, we were looking for something really atmospheric, as you said, but maybe we don't want to do like, you know, like like a painting, like uh, Necrolord or stuff like mm-hmm. that, which I really like as well. But maybe we, we're looking for something a bit different because there are a lot of bands that are like using the same style. And then you also worked with a well-known logo artist, uh, Christoph Spazdel. Oh, yes. Uh, I met him uh, in Portugal in a festival. I was playing as live guitarist for another band. And he was there uh, in the festivals. He was like writing logos and sketches and drafts of people. And I got to talk to him a little bit. Um, I mean, we click, we click, I guess. Yeah. And it was like, hey, Christoph, I got another band. I mean, would you mind if I send you an email and, to, and see if you can do a logo for us? And he was super nice. And yeah, we got a couple of versions. Um, that's it. And we, we have stick. I- Oh, sorry. Yeah, we, we were probably do like a couple small modifications mm-hmm. for the logo, but we're happy with it, and especially because he's pretty much legend. And so, did you have to tell him like the style of your music, or did you get him to listen to your music before he drew up the logo, or did you just give him like a direction to go? Yes, I sent him like some demos. I mean, uh, it was very, I th- yeah, it was like some demos. We didn't even have our EP out, but then, mm-hmm. and I told him, I g- gave him some examples of some logos we have, and I was like, hey, of course, do your thing because you're the lord of the logos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's what he did. It's pretty cool to have somebody like that on board with yeah. uh, with anything, whether it be your art, um, any kind of mixing or guest spots. You said you have some collaborations on your new album. Yeah. It, it, we also like to invite some people, either friends or like other artists that we have enjoyed their music. And we did the same on Come the Tide and on the EP because, I mean, it really adds like, I mean, like a different flow of feeling that probably we can achieve on our own, like a good excuse to, you know, to share moments, especially with people with, whose music I have appreciated and cherished over the years. It's like, hey, I mean, Let's share this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good way of looking at things too. <laughs> that's cool. You get to share the wealth a little bit. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more ex- exposure and everything. Yeah, I mean, um, and, uh, of course. I mean, it, some some guest spots also help you to get noticed to other people. But there are all people that maybe they're like more obscure than anything. But I mean, they like on the record. Um, um, come the tide on the second part of Through the Wall of Light. You got some clean vocals from a friend of mine who's called Christopher, and he used to sing on Asgaroth. But I said I was kind of an influence for us. And even though it's a band that not many people remember, I mean, I think that the guest vocals he did are probably like my favorite part of the record. And we couldn't we couldn't have done that without him. Mm-hmm. So now moving forward into your new album, are there certain aspects of your music that you wanted to stay consistent? And second question is, is there anything that you really wanted to change? I mean, we're not going to try to do something like really, really different. But the truth is that we don't want to repeat ourselves either. So Mm -hmm. uh, the idea is to push both opposites and both sides of the spectrum in our sound. I mean, we want uh, our music is going to be heavier 
but also there's going to be more melodic and it's going to be more atmospheric. I mean, because after all, we are a very, very atmospheric and melodic band, but there's going to be a lot of blast beats and different kind of vocals. Uh, Danny, he has a very, very, he has a very broad register and he can sing like Devin Townsend or Gojira. He has great cleans and also Jaime singing more on this record. So we're trying to have more diversity on the vocals in order to keep mm-hmm. things like a bit more. Uh, because I, I really like uh, Kerion's uh, work on Come the Tide, but it's more traditional. It's after all, it's death of black metal vocalist. But uh, our music is like a bit more nuanced this time. And we're experimenting with different groups and patterns and everything. And that's why we're trying with different vocals and everything. And I mean, I don't think it's going to it's going to shock people who listen to Come the Tide. There's an evolution which people will notice, and also drums are more elaborate as well, and the bass and are, as well. Yeah. Are, are you guys um, sticking with the long songs, or are you guys kind of shortening things? Okay, so that gives you plenty of room to experiment and, and introduce those atmospheric aspects. Yeah, I mean, a couple of songs are slightly shorter, but mm. I mean, <laughs> it's still long. It's still a long record, but I think it's. I I, I mean it's not me who, who should say that, but I think it's very well balanced and, um, everything has the its right to be there. I mean we're not, we, I mean it's a long record and there are like long songs and everything, but it has a reason for it because we're trying to um to express something that way and to show different. And moods during the songs, and then you you also used to play bass for the band. Am I uh, correct? No, well, you actually, still... I started playing bass for the band. Okay. Yeah, I I started I, I play guitar with the band and the, on the, the records and, the, and live. And when Danny joined, where Danny is a way better guitarist than I am, um, it made more sense to have him play guitar, especially live, because mm-hmm. it's gonna sound tighter and everything. And since I play bass in all the bands. Uh, I'm happy with it. I mean, of course, I miss some stuff on solos and things, but for the, I mean, objectively speaking, uh, the best thing for the band is that I play bass because it's going to sound better with Danny on guitars and I can try different things. And on the studio, all three of us uh, recorded some parts of bass, some parts of guitars, even though Jaime, as he's the main writer, he recorded most of the tracks, but we, we just like tested a little bit between all okay. three of us so do you do you enjoy one more than the other uh i mean it depends maybe on the song um the good thing is that bass is like a more rhythmical thing and i can try more stuff with drums and i can because with the guitars i i, I was using a lot of pedals and everything so maybe i was like too focused on pressing the right pedal in the right moment and trying not to 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 fuck it <laughs> <laughs> too much uh but with bass is cool and uh, uh we actually in september we played our first uh show with this lineup with yep. me playing bass and i think it was it was good it was the, uh, uh, the right thing to do and which one did you start playing first like um which one did you learn first uh guitar guitar i still okay. suck either <laughs> instrument but yeah i'm originally a guitarist at least you have the wherewithal to it admit that and move on to something different <laughs> yeah that's the thing i mean i'm 
we're good friends and it's i mean sometimes you need to realize that there's no point into sticking to your ego or something like that i mean we're all still in the band i i have a lot of fun playing bass as well and i can try different things that i wanted to, the bass to have in the band and it didn't have so now mm-hmm. it's all on my shoulders or that <laughs> i had the weight of my shoulders and and it's good fun was it difficult transitioning from guitar to bass uh f- well i mean it wasn't that hard but sometimes I need to, you know, to think about the parts like, hey, you're not playing the solo now, you know it. Especially because with some of the material I've been playing for so many years that it was like, okay, now I need to, to press the delay, to change the channel here. And it's like, hey, no, you're playing bass. I, I use a lot of pedals for a bassist still, but it's easier. And it's like, hey, no, don't worry. <laughs> you're mm. playing bass. You remember, you're playing bass. <laughs> um. Forgive my ignorance, but what do all the pedals do? Like, which um, I know they change the sound, but how? Uh, there are different pedals. For, I mean, like some of them, like they change the sound, like more distortion, like distortion and stuff like that. But uh, they other some of others they uh, add like reverb. They add like repetitions with delay. Like I play one song and it repeats at uh, like the, the different intervals. And if okay, so and also some other pedals like they do like weird sounds like uh, you know like a wah wah or a flanger modulation stuff like that mm-hmm. and we use a lot of pedals in the band <laughs> when you read the music is it different between guitar and bass uh yeah kind of in what ways i mean f- uh well you know with bass i try to to have uh, simpler lines because if not, it's gonna be like really blurry. Because you know, uh, with the low end, it is easy to make. I mean, if I play like a lot of notes, it's especially since I'm not a very good player, it's gonna play, play sound like a bit uh, messier than what it should be. Whereas with the guitars, and you know, uh, it's like it has more treble than anything. You can play like more arrangements and everything, and you can do busier stuff. But with the bass, I really like to kind of like follow the drums more interesting do you guys um when you're writing your music do you write the bass and the guitar roughly around the same time or do you do you start with one specific instrument well usually uh jaime is the one who comes up with the most of the basic structures but he has like a very basic uh uh, bass and drums parts following his guitar ideas Mm -hmm. and then between danny and i we just twist the parts and start to get bass and drums more complex before we present them to our drummer and then when our drummers show show us um the final drum patterns and everything we rewrite the drums to fit it it's a bit chaotic maybe but yeah i mean it's like the core is usually guitars even though in some songs of the of the new record and the idea as a spring for a drum pattern that we had on some jumps and stuff like that have you ever gotten to a point where like none of you guys agree on the same thing uh yeah sometimes it happens and it's yeah. like a negotiation but i don't know it's it's a democracy <laughs> <laughs> i'm a good psychologist and i <laughs> manipulation i like it that's it <laughs> i mean how do you get past your roadblocks then i don't know uh 
sometimes and you're like uh Jaime and I we are both very stubborn with some stuff uh but it's just it's I don't know it's like a tide I mean you're like trying to erosion the stones and everything you're like insisting insisting if I mean there's some stuff where you just need to let it go because yeah. it goes nowhere and it's not worth uh having an argument about that or a discussion and everything it's small details are there some stuff if i'm really sure about something <laughs> i insist and like on the studio there's some stuff like you know it has to be this way uh we'll see okay okay it has to be that way and then and <laughs> then when we're in the studio we try that and it's we see if it works or it doesn't and but it's all about you know having respect and a good mm-hmm. communication and transparency between band members and of course, realizing that it's not an ego thing that we all want the best for the band. And it's just like having like a lot of, you know, to realize what's good and knowing which battles are work fighting. Yeah. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like there's not one person that's um, given like sole directorship of the band it's almost like you guys all have equal say and influence yeah i mean i like on the musical side like jaime has a bigger say because he comes up with a lot of ideas even though danny he has really contributed to a lot of stuff and then i do a lot of the arrangements and everything but like musical wise jaime uh, is like uh, the leader and then on all the other stuff i pretty much i deal with everything like kind of like social media uh, booking mm-hmm. management and choosing who's doing the artwork who we are recording with but of course everyone is uh, free to submit their output and everything and get, give some feedback because we can all help each other one thing i forgot to ask earlier but i wanted to know is um do you do music and the booking stuff full-time or do you have another day job on top of everything i do music i think like music production and booking full-time mm-hmm. okay cool when did you choose to do that and was it difficult to take that step i mean uh actually it was something uh that i didn't intend to happen right? because i was just helping other bands like selling merch or uh, translating stuff to english because even though uh i'm not bilingual or anything like that because well danny he's half american actually uh but uh, like but in Spain, uh, most people don't have a really good level of English. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I help some bands like uh, writing to foreign uh, web scenes or translating lyrics or whatever. Um, that got me to sell merch for some bands. And then one day, uh, a band I was working with, um, they were uh, they were supporting Internaut and Scale the Summit. And the promoter of that show showed me that, uh, uh, saw me that I was talking to Internaut's drummer and helping them with some stuff and he was like hey i need someone in madrid to help me with the, the with the shows and all the production and the logistics and everything would you be up to it and i was like mm-hmm. I, I don't know <laughs> because i was 20 that was in 2013 late 2013 and i was like i never intended to make my my career in music like i just wanted to help people for no money or anything like that but like two or three months later after that, I was working with Scorpions, with Sepultura, with a lot of big bands. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I'm good at it, or at least this good enough at it. Yep. So I've spent like eight years working at it. And even though it's a very challenging and at times frustrating and stressful world, I really, I really, really like it because 
you get to know a lot of great people, you learn a lot of stuff. And but no, I'm not speaking because of course there I've worked with a lot of bands that I love, but I'm there's also a lot of bands that maybe I don't care about their music that much, like uh, no, like Sabaton or stuff like that. But they're really nice people. Mm-hmm. And I have a good time with them and I make money with it. So it's Yeah, good. exactly. Well, and music is obviously one of your passions as well. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, there's always something good to get out of it. So growing up, did you always listen to metal or was that something that kind of came a little bit later? Uh, I started listening to metal like around when I was 12 or so. I was really into soundtracks like, I don't know, like John Williams from Star Wars and video game soundtracks because as I told you on Instagram, I really like, like, I don't know, like Resident Evil, Silent Hill games and stuff like that. So that started really to got me like into music. Mm-hmm. And then I started to listen like, I don't know, like, of course, like the classic bands and some new metal stuff like, I don't know, like Papa Roach, Evanescence, uh, Metallica, Pantera, Slayer. Until I discovered when I was, yeah, I was 12. Like in my early, tw- late 11 to early 12, I started listening to that stuff. Until, and then I came across Catatonia, Opeth, Enslaved, bands like that. And that's how I got into heavier music. When you're listening to a band, is there, um, do you focus on guitars and bass? Or are there other things that you like to, or that you pick up on that you enjoy? I try to listen to the whole thing and actually maybe like guitars are the least thing I pay attention to. Usually for mm-hmm. me, I focus on drums. Um, yeah, vocals, I guess, because it's an important thing. And then the production and bass, of course, guitars are important, but I don't know when I'm watching a show, I'm pretty much like looking at the drummer all the time. because it's like the most interesting thing. And especially in metal, I'll say that it's like 50 or 60% of the band. If you have a good drummer, it's probably a good band. It's interesting to hear a bass player say, and the guitarist say that, um, that they're focusing mostly on the drums. Like I would have expected you to pay attention to the instruments that you personally know. Yeah, but I know like uh, I've, I've played with a lot of different drummers and it changed the band so much to play mm-hmm. when you play with one drummer to another, even if bo- both are great, but like, especially in extreme metal, I know like I've played with some very, very good drummers besides the one we have covered in the band. Like I've played with uh, Nicholas Barker. He used to play in Dimo Borgir and Lock mm-hmm. Up and in Brujeria and stuff like that. I've played with uh, David from Human Vincer. He's like one of the most popular brutal death metal bands in Spain. Um, when you have a good drummer, it's like you you don't need to worry about anything else. I mean, if, sh- if you have, if the drummer is on a good day, the show is gonna be awesome. Did you guys specifically pick any drummers for your bands, or um, did the, everything just come together organically? Uh, you mean the, uh, how we got the, our drummers? You mean or uh, well, um, some of some of them we got to know them. Like uh, we we met him from all the bands they had. Uh, like our current drummer, it was like uh, I I had worked with his band several times. We had went on tour together. I, I was their tour manager, and and when the time came, it was like, hey, you can help us. Can you help us with the show? Yeah, and we got along well. Of course, I I knew it was gonna be all right for my part because I had been on tour with him and everything. But the other guys really had a good time with him, and 
he enjoyed our music and was like, you want to join and everything. But drummers is always a very difficult thing because they all have a lot of bands and it's a very physical demanding thing, especially when you're playing stream metal. It's like maybe you're playing blast beats and double kicks uh, like crazy and it just stops mm-hmm. for a month because I don't know, like you twist your ankle or you just want to play something else. I mean, uh, you, you're going to have a, good, a tough time like catching up with what you learned previously. It's like... It's like a streaming sport. Would you say the drumming is probably, I mean, in your opinion, the most difficult? It is definitely, uh, yeah. definitely. It seems like there's a lot of a lot going on. I mean, even in guitars and bass, but it just having a drum kit around you just seems to me overwhelming. Yeah, especially because I mean, if you fuck up with the guitars, I mean, if there if there are two guitars and bass and blast beats and everything, unless it's something like very easy to notice, most people won't realize but your drummers fuck fucks it up i mean most people are gonna realize and people and the rest of the band are gonna look at them and like what what's going on mm-hmm, exactly you touched on the vocals before you said that vocals is something that you pay attention to is there a certain vocal style that you're drawn to or that you try to avoid i like uh, all kind of vocals i'll say i mean i really like like vocalists in play to use like different styles like you know like of course opeth and slave and morpheus i really like the combination between clean and growth and screams and everything i mean as long as it's done well i really like dan suano as well i like alphist like mystery signals stuff like that but i don't know like as i listen to a lot of different styles of music i don't know I love Alice in Chains. I love uh, Slow Dive, uh, Pink Floyd. So, I mean, if it's a good singer, it's a good singer, and it doesn't matter what what he's doing. It seems like your musical tastes are kind of all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I like jazz. I like trip hop. Uh, I mean, that's good music pretty much everywhere. You just need to find it. Are there any genres that you don't like ever? Maybe reggaeton or stuff like that. Uh, uh, but I know, like. There's even there's some stuff like trap that I like. I mean, even though I don't know a lot of artists or with reggae mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but there's some stuff that I do like, and I'm trying to explore it because you're probably gonna explore and discover new things, and you can probably apply them to your own music in some ways. Yeah, looking for inspiration in um, other genres, orthodox yeah. places. Yeah, I've never been able to get into country. I like some stuff. I like like uh, Johnny Highland, for instance. Uh, I wait like a bit more modern um, and orthodox, but it's cool. When you're listening to other genres of music, do you pay attention to the same types of things, like the vocals and the drums, or is it the sound overall that you pay attention to? Uh, well, I mean, of course I pay attention to the whole thing, but usually I try to focus on drums and bass. And also the production, because it it gives me a lot of ideas. Like, I don't know, for instance, for Eternal Storm, there are bands like Thrice or, or Cave In, which probably don't have nothing to do with our sound. We've got a lot of ideas for, from them, like uh, both as a performer or a writer, and also for an arrangement from production, is because, or or from, from typo negative, it's like, I don't know, there are bands that they do a lot of stuff that, probably you don't see many strings metal bands doing that but you can use it if you know how i mean it gives you like 
new tricks, I'll say. I like that you pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's the only way to try to avoid repetition and try to come up with, I mean, by no means we are an original band or anything like that, but, I mean, to spice things up a little bit and trying to make the most out of the songs and try not to repeat ourselves too much, that's the way to find. I mean, you need to listen to a lot of different music, maybe even pop, whatever, because, well, I like a lot of pop artists, and sometimes like, wow, this is cool. And mm-hmm. yes like that and you don't have to copy it but maybe that leads you to finding something that you can apply to your own compositions outside of metal what other um, musical genres are popular in spain uh well i mean we have a very strong tradition in flamenco music okay of course and then of course like mainstream pop and hip-hop is fairly popular then reggaeton Mm -hmm. as i said trap is pretty big here right now uh, there are some rock bands, but it's nothing. There's a huge indie scene as well, like indie mm-hmm. rock and indie pop, which I re- I like as well a lot. And yeah, there's always good stuff to pick from that. Do you think um, the strength of the indie scene is complemented right now because of COVID and because of things like streaming on Spotify or YouTube? It could be. I mean, uh, I mean, you. It depends because, I mean, of course, uh, vinyl records are being sold more than ever before in all genres, not only metal. But um, but uh, it's always this, like, a, you know, like a reaction to everything that's happening because people go, some people go more to the digital side of things, mm-hmm. uh, be it like uh, streaming gigs or Spotify, stuff like that. But there are some other people that are going to be like more romantics and diehards and fan of the hard, of hard copies and physical media and everything. And they're going to go to shows. They're going to buy records, merch and everything. So this could also be everything. Of course, people are usually going more for the digital stuff because it's cheaper. It doesn't take room. You need to have, because I know like I have a lot of records Mm-hmm. And if I have to move to another place, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I saw on your Instagram that you have a massive collection. Um, what is it about vinyls that you really like? Uh, well, I mean, one of the things I like the most is the extended artwork because you get to see of all the covers and the credits and the lyrics on a bigger size. But I bu- still buy CDs and tapes and everything. You buy cassettes now too? Yeah, I mean, from a specific genres because, you know, it's a format that usually sounds like crap, but for grindcore, black metal, and stuff like that, I like it. Okay, so it does depend on the, the genre. Yeah. Interesting. I was actually wondering about that because I know I don't have much experience with vinyl at all, mm-hmm. um, but I know that it obviously sounds a lot more crisp, a lot clearer. Yeah. Um, but it but all I depends of, oh, sorry, it all depends if you have like a good equipment and yeah. if a record was mastered for vinyl properly, even though they, I mean, like Come the Tide wasn't a master for vinyl, but we were lucky mm-hmm. and it sounds good on vinyl, but actually like it, the mastering on vinyl more, even though we didn't do it independent masters, but I got like other records that really sound like crap on vinyl because they got a really bad mastering or a bad pressing and everything. And so would would one of those records or could one of those records actually sound better on cassette if they were mastered for a different medium? On cassette, I don't think so because it's, uh, I mean, 
I am not an expert, or I don't have like a very uh, Polish uh, expert set of ears because I'm not uh, like an audio engineer or anything like that. But cassettes usually sound like very lo-fi. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. some people like I remember uh, I was talking to Jody Plantier from Gojira mm-hmm. uh, when I worked with them some years ago, and he was so used to the sound of uh, like a third or fourth generation tape of death symbolic than when someone got him a, a reissue with a remaster on vinyl he was like this sounds so weird this this sounds nothing like what i was remembering because i mean it, it maybe it sounds worse but you are used to that sound and mm-hmm. it is what it is i mean you can force it one thing I hated about cassettes back in the day is it just sounded like it always had that staticky um, underlay, I guess. It was distracting. Yeah, I mean, vinyl also have like the static as well, but it's mm-hmm. like more warm. I'll say it's warmer. Do the vinyl records like um, deteriorate over time? Like the more you listen to them, does it the sound change at all? Uh, they do, but I mean, you need to listen to them like a lot of time. I mean, no, like I got some records from my parents and they're like from the 70s. I mean, you just need to clean them, most of them. But with CDs, it happens the same. Actually, some of them got the, uh, like, they have, like, the data corrupted over time. Hmm. So, I mean, it's, when it's a hard copy, you need to treat it well, and there's always the risk that it's going to break, it's going to do weird things. What's your favorite way to um, experience music? I mean, it depends, by the way. I mean, I like to, yes, put on a vinyl um, spin it and do some stuff. But if I'm with people, I'm just having a chat. It depends. I mean, it also usually depends on which band it is because there's some bands that I rather just put the CD or just put it on YouTube or Bandcamp or anything like that. You guys worked with Transcending Obscurity on your first record. Are you guys working together with them again? Yeah, we're doing the second record with them, with Kunal. Nice. And you guys have like a long-standing um, contract, or is it an album by album basis? Uh, I see yes, two records. Okay. And how did you come with? Uh, I know we chatted briefly about it, but how did you come to uh, sign with them? I had known Kunal, who's the label manager, uh, for a few years because he he was running a website called uh, Transcending Obscurity and Diabolical Conquest mm-hmm. um, by some friends of common we had from there, also from India. Um, so he was doing the label and he was also doing PR for a couple of other labels, which are friends of mine. Um, they told me that he was great with the, with the PR thing. And then I saw that he was like getting like more serious with the label. And he signed some bands that were friends with, that I'm friends with like, um, like uh, Mark Supplier, um, Drag Hunky, um, The Profundis and Come Back From The Dead. Mm-hmm. And they told me really good things about the label. So I mean, I wasn't having any luck with all the labels I were talking because mo- most of them didn't write back or they were really like uh, telling us to sign for really absurd and abusive conditions. So I was like, I mean, I'm going to write Kunal because I don't think he's going to be into the music because he is putting more traditional death metal and stuff like that. But I mean, it's an email. I don't have much to miss. I mean... That's going to be a few minutes. And much to my surprise, he really liked the record. Mm-hmm. Um, because, as I said, it was different to a lot of the stuff he puts on the on the label. And, yeah, I mean, even though it took 
a lot a rather long time to have the record out he he worked really hard on it and he's done a lot of good things for us so uh, i'm happy i decided to go with him and it's good that you guys have a positive relationship but like you mentioned with the other labels as they were offering you um shit terms and you decided to say no yeah, see, because, I mean, I understand we are a super small band and that uh, these times are really hard. Um, records don't sell the way they did like 20 or 30 years ago. But I don't know, we are talking to some label um, from a guy who, who, who I knew that he had a lot of connections, that he had signed some really, really big bands for all their bigger labels back in the day and he started a different uh, new label. And then he sent me the contract and it was, it, I had, to, I would have had to hire a lawyer to fully understand mm. that because it was like a really cryptic, um, it was like really legally binding and we would have to, and we will lose the rights for our music for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. And it's like, if I'm doing that, it has to be a really good label because otherwise. Yeah, if you're going yeah, to lose the rights to your music, like that's your creation you should be rewarded for it i don't know how somebody else can take that from you well that happens more often than you think of like a lot of big labels they do that and they basically they advance money and you name mm -hmm. you but you have to pay all the money so it's like i understand it, it has to be a good a good scenario for them but it has to, it should be a winning scenario for the bands as well because but it's like a lot of labels they're making a lot of profit and if you don't sell the records, you are in debt with the label. And so that's what we wanted to avoid. Yeah. And, and being part of a label, you would think that uh, the label is responsible for getting exposure, you know, stuff like shows, having the album produced, but they should be responsible to the band because they're the ones doing the hard work and saying uh, and creating the art, the, the music. Well, I mean, uh, I think in there it's not black or white. I mean, because the band has to work really hard and you can expect the label to book shows for you because th that has to be done by the band itself or by a booking agent. Of There are some labels that they help uh, to uh, assemble tours and stuff like that, but uh, a record label has to release the album and has to do promo. Mm -hmm. They have to talk to a PR company or if they have an in-house one like our label has, something like that. But it's about both parties have to have a like, full commitment because it's going to be good for everyone. I mean, if, mm -hmm. if, the, if, the, if the band sells records, it's going to be good for the label. And both both parties are going to grow together. It's, uh, it's easy, but sometimes bands or labels don't get it and they just expect the other part to do all the job. Yeah, it has to be a partnership and not like a parasitic or controlling relationship. Yeah, that's it. I think like a lot of the bigger album or sorry, bigger record labels, they don't really see it the way that way anymore. Uh, Maybe yeah. Because they have so many people on, on their roster. Yeah, probably because I know they just try to, some of them, they just try to make some quick backs and, mm -hmm. and just move to the same trend. Like I know like there are a lot of, there's a huge old school death metal trend right now which is being led by bands like Black Incantation, Gate Creeper, stuff like that. And of course, there are some bands who are like, getting profit of it and they're doing well because they work really hard for it and they totally deserve it. But there are some labels that are just trying to grab like copycats of those bands and they mm -hmm. tend to milk the cow and just move to this next 
think like like a few years ago they were really only releasing gent and thrash metal bands and now they're doing this hmm do you see do you notice that with transcending obscurity say again do you notice that kind of trend with uh transcending obscurity or I know, I mean, I, pretty I mean, much do what they want to do I mean, it's consistent. I mean, they've always focused on the most obscure sides of death, black, and doom metal. But they mm-hmm. also they have like more melodic acts like us. They also have industrial bands. They have more technical bands. Like they release a band called Replicant from New Jersey. They are very similar to Gorgats, to Immolation. They're really, really, really good. I mean, it's it feels natural and organic. Hmm. And do you ever feel any pressure um, being on a label? Do you feel any pressure to like live up to the other bands? If that makes sense? Uh, not really, because um, I mean, the pressure comes just from our own side, and like we want to write music that we're happy with, and that's it. I mean, there are some bands who are always still doing some bands on the label that are going to be better than us or worse than us, and there are going to be some bands that no matter if they're better or worse, they're going to sell more or mm-hmm. less copies than us. So there's no point in, you know, like getting frustrated or annoyed about that. Yeah. You basically, as long as you're making music for that, you guys enjoy, you're happy, yeah. right? Awesome. If somebody's looking for your music, where's the, where's the best place for them to find it for you? Guys? I'll say Bandcamp. Yeah. It's yeah. bandcamp.com. Okay, perfect. Um, do you have a tentative release date for your n- next record? Uh, we're aiming uh, probably like uh, September this year, but we'll see. But also because uh, for the vinyl, it's gonna take some extra months. But I mm-hmm. think we're gonna just release it anyway. And whenever the vinyl come, it is what it is. Like we did the same with the previous record because uh, the label wasn't sure if if uh, it's gonna be it's going to sell good enough to do some vinyl pressing so that we launched the vinyl like after a few months and it worked okay yes and people are are totally uh, they're used to waiting for for getting the vinyl so it's it is what it is this because there's like a hu- huge delays all over the pressing plants in the world are you guys gonna if you guys do vinyl are you gonna limit the number of copies uh, I mean, we're going to try to make like a 500 or something like that, which is still like pretty big mm-hmm. for our side. But we did that uh, with uh, Come the Tide and it worked really well. And that way, uh, the copies get, it's, are a bit cheaper. And we make sure that we don't run out of copies uh, soon enough. Because sometimes, mm-hmm. I mean, it's better to pay for a little bit and have enough copies for for touring and everything whenever that comes when that gets possible again and you have the tours lined up with or sorry the tour with master and then the rock imperium i just don't yeah rock imperium, imperium yeah. festival yeah. are there any other tours or shows that you guys have planned uh we are trying to do some other tours and festivals but to be honest uh, now nowadays as the situation is still pretty bad um and festivals keep getting uh, rescheduled and tours and i think that there's not much room for small bands like us so I'm waiting until we have the record mastered and everything so I can start reaching booking agencies and festivals. But, I mean, most slots are covered for bigger bands and others than were before us. So, I mean, we'll try as hard as possible to play as much as possible, given 
all the restrictions and our situation that we have uh, members living in, in different countries. So we have to come up with uh, all the friends helping us in case Jaime can make us here like we have done in the past. But yeah, I mean, we're going to try to play as much as possible. Awesome. I look forward to the new music. Cool. We can wait to so share it. I uh, want to thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate the time you've given me and uh, I hope to chat with you again in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when a new record is out, I mean, we are all happy, more than happy to be here. We have a really good time. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to the next episodes. Awesome. And thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I mean, it's a very good interview and Phil is great. And he, he was cool to hear some of his stories, like always. You know, it, it never ceases to amaze me, like how knowledgeable uh, musicians are about their craft. And there's so much more than just the music that everybody has to offer. So it's it's yeah, cool feel, to chat with you guys. Feel especially, Phil is like one of the biggest uh, connoisseurs of music I've ever known. I mean, he totally lives for music. He's such a perfectionist. He's so talented. He's great. And I'm really happy that things are doing so going so well for him because he totally respects his incredible it would be cool to hear you guys go down the rabbit hole <laughs> yeah i mean we we actually we met in real life uh in 2019 yeah yep he was, he was touring with first fragment with obscura and i was working at the show in madrid and nice. he, he was like hey phil and he was looking at me it was like fuck what are you doing here <laughs> like i know like i we had been in touch since 2010 or 2011 back when he yep. was doing spheres yep um <laughs> small world <laughs> how did you guys get in touch uh, i just came across his music and i started pestering him <laughs> that's yeah, a good I mean, way to make friends <laughs> yeah i always it's kind of like what i did with you guys <laughs> that's that's what i do i mean i just annoy people online and they when they get to meet me in real life they say i'm not mental you know, as i look <laughs> I don't know the cat pictures on your Instagram make me think <laughs> yeah. otherwise, but uh, I don't blame you for that. <laughs> I've got two running around my house either way oh, as well, so I awesome. know they're they're also kind of assholes, but <laughs> mine are fine. I mean, some of them they're like be grumpier than others, but they're cats, you know. There's everything. You said earlier that you had to uh, take one of your cats into the vet. What happened? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, he has hyperthyroidism. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so they, we had to get him some shots of, uh, radioactive iodine. Okay. To regulate his condition. And mm-hmm. like, luckily he's doing much, much better than these days, but it was like a really expensive treatment. Mm-hmm. But, but it's worth it. They're, of course, of course it family. is. Yeah. I mean, um, without my cats, I don't know what would I, what would have I done, uh, during lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, it's especially if you live alone. Like it's something the lockdown. I can't even imagine living alone. To be yeah, honest. I mean, I, of course, I live with my girlfriend and his kids, uh, and her kids. So uh, that makes things much easier. But you know, uh, since I wasn't that busy working, of course, I was still doing things like rescheduling and everything. But I mean, when you have cats and everything, you need to have like some kind of routine. You need to feed them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They they help you keep busy and not lose control and. And of course, they, for that time, they they pet you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you have anything that um, during that time that gave you some semblance of normalcy, that was that was huge. Yeah, that's the thing. Because and I, a lot of people that live by themselves, it was brutal. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine how bad it is to 
you know, to endure that being alone on your own. But mm-hmm. especially because I don't know, I was like in really crazy schedules before the pandemic, like, I don't know, like sleeping four hours a day, stuff like that all the time because I was working with a lot of shows and everything. So it was like, it was like I, I went from 11 to just zero. I drop and everything, and I tried to make the most out of it. Like, okay, now I can spend time with my girlfriend, with my cats, with my records. I can focus on the band, um, sleep better, eat healthier. So, like, in a way, it was definitely a detriment, but at the same time, it was, it was some other positives came out of it. Yeah, of course. I mean, we need to make the most out of all the situations in life because, I mean, we are only here for a couple of years, and what's the point about weeping i mean it's not gonna help i mean of course there are harder moments and Mm -hmm. some periods of your life when you can't get in more and you're just like you have had too much but you need to try to stay positive and there are so so many things you can focus on like from people to art like Mm -hmm. you know like music video games films series there's all always you're always gonna have to find something worth smiling for i think yeah exactly as long as you hold on to that you're fine that's it yeah i mean it's difficult and sometimes i mean of course it is easier to to say that to actually do it but we need to do our best oh the principle is simple but getting actually doing it that's the hard part that's the thing yeah but i know you just need to insist and know that things eventually get better Sometimes when you're flying at 100 miles an hour, um, you need something outside of your control to stop it. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't recommend a pandemic, but sometimes you need like a hard stop where you reset and you um, recalibrate where you're going. Definitely. That's pretty much what happened to me because I was starting to feel a bit burned. And I was like, look, I love my job, but I need some holidays and I don't know where, when I'm going to be able to pull that off. And then it was like, this happened. I was like, okay, now I'm broke, but <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean, um, I, I, this is good. Uh, so I Has can Spain done a, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's good. Um, I was just wondering if Spain had, um, like, if they were able to support a lot of their citizens through the pandemic. Like, did they did they offer aid packages, or how did they? Yeah, how did they, they offset the loss of jobs and the loss of work? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been pretty good benefit wise i mean we don't get paid a lot mm-hmm. uh, i mean at least i can pay for uh, most of the expenses so that's i mean I-, I can ask for more right now i mean i mm-hmm. want to survive uh, i mean there will be other moments that, uh, like i said before money comes and goes and as long as i'm healthy uh, i have a place to stay and mm-hmm. i can pay for my bills it's good um, it's good enough for me I feel like a lot of people are getting that perspective or at least um, getting back in tune with that perspective, like that the relationships and their health is actually more important than working and not necessarily working, but just working too much, working to live. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, uh, we eventually, I mean, we are pretty much like enslaved by our jobs and everything. And it's always like where you're like living to work instead of working to live. That's what people always say but. The main thing is that your your mental health is all right and your physical health, of course, is also all right. 
because that's the most important things. I mean, if you're, it doesn't matter if you have like 50 grand in your pocket, if you are depressed or mm-hmm. if you're suffering from a condition or, or anything. I mean, it's like, what's the point? I mean, of course, I mean, poverty sucks <laughs> or not having, or not having a lot of money, but uh, we need to realize that the, the, what's the most important thing. Well, money shouldn't be, it should be friends and family. So that's the thing. Yeah. I'm really happy to see that out of the pandemic, that's kind of one thing that's been consistent um, across the board. Yeah, I mean, uh, and luckily we have social media and stuff like that to see that our beloved ones are doing okay. Mm-hmm. And we can have some fans and, I don't know, like sending memes or stupid videos, stuff like that. Yep. Because I know I, I I know a lot of people that live abroad and I haven't seen them in several years because I only got to see them at festivals or when I was on tour. But, you know, I'm talking to them every day. So it's like they're here. That makes things so much easier. I mean, like you, they other people found different ways to communicate, whether it be through video game, through social media. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but we had a lot of um, like porch visits, if that makes sense. Like people would go and visit each other. Uh, like they would stay inside the house, but they'd go and stand on their deck and say hi. And yeah. we had like dr- drive by birthday parties and stuff. It was kind of cool just to see the the innovation that people took to go and make that contact. Yeah, that happened here as well. I mean, so like. I mean, just imagine if this has happened like in the 1970s or 1980s. I mean, mm-hmm. that will have brought like massive hysteria. I mean, at least, I mean, we we have Skype, we have Netflix and stuff like that, that even though it has a lot of bad things, that you lose time or you talk about bullshit or spread fake news and stuff like that, but you find ways to keep yourself busy and in good spirits. Did you notice that you found a lot more inspiration during um, during COVID because of the time you were able to spend at home? Uh, well, maybe we have like less re- distractions. Yeah, fair enough. So I mean, but uh, the bad thing is that, uh, for instance, our practice rooms was uh, in lockdown for seven months or so. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to to you to see each other. But I mean, we're used to working in remote, so it wasn't that bad. And we have to and reschedule the recording several times. That's the only problem. Well, if you're already used to it, that's not so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's just like first world problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> it always can be. Awesome. Daniel, thank you again for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, it. Jeff. I had a really good time. And yeah, I mean, let's keep in touch. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.